Good morning. Can everybody hear me? Excellent. Well, Happy New Year. I'd like to thank John and Wade and Anna Catherine, as well as Doug and Kat and Alan, um, Jeff and Chris and Sadie for working behind the scenes to put this worship service on. It, it, uh, Jim is gone for the week, and we appreciate Jim so much. I appreciate him so much more having prepared uh, the next teaching in the Sermon of Galatians uh, for him. He is, uh, I don't know how he does it each and every week. Uh, he is something special for us, and I hope that we all realize it. So today we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5, verse 25 through chapter 6, verse 10. The Christian walk. As you turn there in your copy of the Bible or in the pew Bible in front of you, I'm going to take the time to reorient ourselves to where we left off two Sundays ago. As Dick, thank you very much for opening, uh, said, it has been a pretty packed two weeks for the Christmas season and the New Year season. So I just want to bring us back to where Jim left off. Two weeks ago, Jim stated that because of the gospel, Christians have a new identity. Christians are sons of God, heirs of Christ. In light of this fact, our lives should be both about who we are and what we do. Jim asked us to consider our walk, our pattern of life, our pattern of conduct. Can it be said of us that our walk is in line with our identity in Christ? That's a good question to consider as we go into this new year. Does the pattern of our lives as believers reflect the leadership of the Holy Spirit or the carrying out of the desires of the flesh? Remember, Paul's reference to the flesh here means a self-centered life, a self-centered walk a pattern of preoccupation with self in all pursuits. To be walking by the Spirit means that God is directing our lives, our walk. To be carrying out the desires of the flesh is to be walking in self-love, exploiting people and situations in terms of what they can do for you. Jim explained the conflict this way with these questions two weeks ago. Husbands, how do you love your wife as Christ loved the church when you'd rather love yourself? Wives, how do you submit to your husband as the church submits to Christ when submission is a very hard thing to do and is against our nature to submit? Children, how do you obey your parents when your parents frustrate you? Parents, how do you nurture and discipline your children when they seem so unresponsive? How do we love our neighbor? How do we pray for our enemies? How do we serve our Christian brothers and sisters? How do we restrain our lustful passions? How do we kill our pride? How do we bridle our tongue? Well, today's scripture reading 
we'll continue to study the effects of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the power the believer has to live a new kind of life in which they care for and serve one another by the Spirit, doing good by the Spirit. So together, let's read Galatians 5, verse 25 through 6 through 10. I'm reading in the ESV version. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, oh, excuse me, that's 24. I'll start at 24. And those who belong in Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not his neighbor For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will follow from the flesh. Let me start that again. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. And the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good for everyone, especially for those in the household of faith. Paul continues his letter to the Christians in Galatia. He reminds them that they have been made alive in the Spirit by the opening of verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The word if in the beginning of this verse is intended to provoke the Christian readers and hearers to think and maybe even answer out loud, yes, I live by the Spirit because I was made alive by the Spirit. Believers know, the believers know that they have been made alive by the Spirit because Paul has spent a great deal of time through the letter to the Galatians explaining justification and the work of the Spirit. That is to say, Paul has presented in the letter a rough outline of the Spirit's work in a believer's life from conversion to consummation. We see here in chapter 4, verse 29, believers are born of the Spirit. In chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, and 13 and 14, believers receive the Spirit. In chapter 5, verses 5, In 25, believers are alive in the Spirit. In chapter 5, 
verses 16 and 25, believers walk in the Spirit. And in chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, and 22 and 23, believers are led by the Spirit in the fruits of the Spirit. While Paul does not provide a comprehensive study on the Spirit, he does provide a solid argument for the Galatian believers to answer affirmatively that they are right with God and alive in the Spirit because they place their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Therefore, they should naturally follow Paul's strong encouragement to keep in step with the Spirit. And just a side note is, Paul being the apostle, he could have come from his position as an apostle to the Galatians in making this argument that they should uh, not be bewitched, not be taken away from the gospel. But you'll see in especially verse 5 and verse, five in, in verse 6, Paul includes himself among the believers of Galatia. He uses the word we almost all the time. Almost making an argument from a position of a friend rather than the authority of an apostle. So in keeping with this idea of keeping in step, causes us to think of Paul's exhortation in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit. We need to be careful here because we may get confused assuming that the word walk in verse 16 and the phrase keeping in step in verse 25 are the same thing. Remember two weeks ago, Jim explained the word for walk in verse 16 was a Hebrew metaphor conveying the idea of the pattern of a person's life, the pattern of a person's conduct. Paul is exhorting believers in verse 16 to pattern their lives by the Spirit. But in verse 25, the phrase walk or keep in step is a different word. The word means to proceed in a row as a march of soldiers. If I can add to the word picture, since not everyone has been in the military or is familiar with the military culture, you could also think about a marching band. We have seen plenty of marching bands this week if we've watched any college football games. Members of the marching band proceed in a row and are tightly synchronized in their walk and performance. You can easily tell either when a soldier or a band member is in step or out of step. This keep in step idea is what Paul is describing and strongly urging believers to do as it is the way to victory over the flesh, to follow the Spirit's leading in every part of their life. As believers follow the leading of the Spirit and keep in step, they obey Paul's exhortation in verse 26 to not become conceited, arrogant, and prideful. Because being filled with the Spirit includes caring for another and serving one another in love. This is the first of the list of the fruit of the Spirit. Paul addresses believers at Philippi in a very similar way in how to care for one another and serve one another. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says, 
Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility in mind, regard one another more important than yourselves. When a person is conceited, they tend to do two things according to Paul. They either provoke or they envy. Both of these are on the list of social sins of the flesh, which Jim covered two weeks ago. Both of these things irritate, aggravate, and frustrate another person. Provoking and envying is not loving. The word used for provoke literally means to challenge someone to an athletic contest or to combat. It implies superiority and the person's desire to demonstrate it at the expense of the other person. If one envies another, it implies a feeling of inferiority because the person is jealous or embittered by another person's success or happiness. Envy may even cause a person to rejoice at another's misfortune. In either case, Paul strongly forbids the believer from conceit because Christian relationships are governed by service to one another, not rivalries, quarreling, or fighting. John Stott, in his commentary, rightly relates that the correct attitude by the believer towards another is not, I am better than you and I will prove it, or you are better, or you are better than I and I resent it, but you are a person of importance in your own right because God made you in his image and Christ died for you. So it is my joy and privilege to serve you. Paul continues with three more exhortations for believers to care for and serve one another in verses, in chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. According to the ESV, it reads, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, so and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. I'm going to take the second exhortation in verse 2 first. This exhortation is to bear one another's burdens. We see Paul letting believers know two things. That everyone has burdens. Everyone has struggles. Everyone has cares of life that are too heavy for them to carry. And God does not mean for people to carry their burdens alone. The ministry of bearing burdens is a ministry every believer should and can do because it is a natural result of keeping in step with the Spirit and it is part of the purpose of God in His people. So believers should not keep their burdens 
these heavy, unbearable loads to themselves. But rather, they should seek a Christian friend who will help carry them. In this way, Paul tells believers that they are fulfilling the law of Christ when they serve one another and when they love their neighbor as themselves. But Paul has a warning to those believers who are prideful in verse 3, that they should avoid the sin of conceit. For Paul writes that a believer deceives themselves when they think too highly of themselves, when they think it is demeaning to bear another's burdens. Paul reminds them that they are really nothing. This is not an exaggeration or an overstatement by Paul. For all people rebelled against the Holy God who was their creator and whose image they bear. People deserve nothing from God's hand except His holy wrath. But what people have received is the gift of grace. When Christ condescended and emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of man, humbling himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, believers should not consider themselves above one another and decline to serve one another. But believers should be of the same mind, having the same love. They should do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than themselves. Looking not, to, looking not only to their interest, but also to the interest of others. And it is the interest of others that Paul exhorts believers in verse 1 to their community responsibility. Verse 1, Paul writes, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Here, Paul is instructive to believers in his exhortation to restore one caught in transgressions or overtaken by trespass. The situation Paul is relating to here has been translated in many different ways. Some Bibles translate it as transgressions, others trespass, others wrongdoing, others fault. But based on the original language, transgression or trespass is the best translation as it again relates a Hebrew idea or an image of people in relationship violating the trust of one another or betraying the relationship. The very first story of a transgression or a trespass is the story of how Adam violated the trust of God and betrayed their relationship when he disobeyed and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The result of this one trespass led to the condemnation of all men. This is a terrible situation, but it is not the end. For Paul writes in Romans, if condemnation to all came through one trespass of a man, how much more will God's gracious gift overflow to many by the means of a man, Jesus, the Messiah. Thinking in this light, Paul gives instructions for believers to follow the example of Christ, 
to restore, to set the believer caught in the trespass back on the right path, reinstating the relationship and fellowship. While every sin, meaning a moral failure, and every iniquity, meaning crooked behavior, and every trespass, meaning the violation of trust, are detestable before God. Certain trespasses are especially harmful to the fellowship of the church and must be dealt with. This restoration and reconciliation of a believer should be done by those who are spiritual, according to Paul's instructions in Galatians. Paul's reference to those who are spiritual is of the believer that he has portrayed in chapter 5, verses 16 through 25. These believers are the ones who are led by the Spirit, show evidence of the fruit of the Spirit, and are keeping in step with the Spirit. Because restoring is to be done with gentleness, with humility, with, with watchfulness, so that the Christian who is restoring is not overtaken by temptation, because all are prone to sin. Paul goes on in verses 4 and 5 with a third exhortation, which is a reminder to the believers that each one will stand before God. Verses 4 and 5. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting, but to himself alone and not to another. For each one will bear his own load. Is that, uh, that reading was from the NSAB. Here, Paul tells the believer they should examine their own work by judging and testing their life carefully. They should not compare themselves to one another, as this would result in them deceiving themselves by overestimating what they have accomplished in their lives. Paul gives this exhortation to test their works so he could lift their eyes from the current present context to the future context. This is indicated by the phrase, the future phrase or the, of will have reason. Commentaries agree that Paul is talking about the future day of judgment. Paul is lifting the believer's eyes so that on the day of judgment, the believer will only boast about his own work, which was accomplished by keeping in step with the Spirit, as all vain and conceit boasting will disappear on that day. Paul writes, each one will bear his own load. In other words, each one will be responsible for their walk with God. So we have covered chapter 5, verses 25 through chapter 6, verses 5, in which the main point of Paul's exhortations was to urge believers to walk in the Spirit so that they could care for and serve one another, not compete with one another. As we move into the final section for today, chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, we, we may see, it may seem disconnected from what we have talked about previous, but a closer look will reveal how they are connected in that in 
Paul's final exhortation, he urges believers to do good by sowing good seed in the church, in the spirit, and in the community. Verse 6 through 10. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I'm going to start with verse 7. It's because it is here where Paul gives us the principle of sowing and reaping. It is written to all life. And the principle, and it is a principle of order and consistency. God promised Noah in Genesis 8 verse 22 that so long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest will not cease. If a gardener wants to harvest, wants a harvest, they must sow their seeds in the garden. Otherwise, there will be no harvest. Moreover, the kind of harvest is determined in advance by what kind of seed the gardener plans to sow. If the gardener sows good seed, they will have a good harvest. If the gardener sows bad seed, they will have a bad harvest. If the gardener sows plenty, they can expect a plentiful harvest. If the gardener sows sparingly, they can expect to harvest sparingly. The same principle operates in the moral and spiritual spheres. Paul tells believers, whatever one sows, that he will also reap. This principle is an unchanging law of God, which Paul emphasizes by the beginning of what he says in an exhortation and a statement. The prince, Paul's exhortation in the beginning says, do not be deceived. He's saying that to us. And his statement is, God will not be mocked. People may fool themselves, but they cannot fool God. They may think that they can escape the unchanging law of sowing and reaping, but they cannot. They may go on sowing seeds thoughtlessly and close their eyes to the consequences, but one day God himself will bring in the harvest as stressed in verses 4 and 5. Each person will stand alone before God who will render a final judgment. With this principle in mind, we'll turn to look at three areas of Christian activities. The first area is in verse 6. It's the Christian ministry. Verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Here, Paul makes the point that he who is taught the word should help to support their teacher. So the pastor may expect to be supported by the congregation. 
because he sows the good seed of God's word and he reaps a livelihood. And I, I just want to sort of stop here and I want to thank everybody um, on behalf of the elders for your generous care of Jim, who is the teaching and preaching elder here at the church. It is very evident that he sows a good seed by the way he reaps a good harvest from us. Thank you for taking care of him. This principle of taking care of the pastor, this is a biblical principle which the Lord Jesus taught in Luke 7, or excuse me, in Luke 10, verse 7, to the 70 whom he sent out. For a laborer deserves his wages. And Paul makes explicit use of the sowing and reaping to teach the same truth in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? We should know that the fellowship between a pastor and the congregation is the same rich and sweet picture of the fellowship and communion that the believer has with the Holy Spirit. The next area we'll talk about is verse 8, Christian holiness. Verse 8, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Here, Paul again turns to the theme of the flesh and the Spirit. According to Paul's exhortation in chapter 5, believers have a duty to walk by the Spirit. And here in chapter 6, they have the same type of duty to sow in the Spirit. Thus, the Spirit is like a path in which we walk and a field in which we sow. If we expect to reap the fruit of the Spirit, we need to sow in the field of the Spirit. The seeds we must sow are our thoughts and our deeds. As Paul writes to the believers in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. We can sow to the Spirit by the books we read, the company we keep, the habits of prayer and Bible reading, and gathering to worship and study and fellowship with the Lord's people. And all these sowing good seeds to the Spirit And without it, there can be no harvest of the fruit of the Spirit. Unless we sow these good seeds in the Spirit, we will reap no harvest of holiness. To sow to the flesh is to pander to it, to cuddle it, to stroke it like a nice kitten. Instead of, as Jim told us two weeks ago, we need to kill it. We need to crucify it. The seeds we sow, once again, are mostly thoughts and deeds, like allowing our minds to hold a grudge, nursing a grievance, entertaining an impure fantasy, or looking at pornography, wallowing in self-pity, 
hanging out with poor company. When we are lazy and idle or take risks which come close to breaking our self-control. In all these things, we are sowing to the flesh and we will never reap holiness. The last area is the Christian well-doing in verses 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are in the household of faith. Paul is keenly aware that active Christian service is tiring work and at times makes great demands on a believer's life which can cause discouragement and laziness. So Paul gives believers a final exhortation to not lose heart in doing good. For doing good is like sowing good seed. If a believer perseveres, If a believer keeps on going, if a believer keeps sowing seeds of good works in the lives of the people of their church and of their community, the results will always be a good harvest. We see in each of these areas, the teacher who sows God's word will reap his living. A sinner who sows to the flesh will reap corruption. A believer who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life, and an ever-deepening communion with God. And a Christian who sows good work in their church and in their community will reap a good crop in the lives of those they serve and they will be rewarded in eternity. God will not be mocked. People must expect to reap what they sow. There's an old maxim that goes like this. Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. So to end, I'd like to do two things. First, if everybody looks at their bulletin in the back, you will see that we have placed a memory verse for the week. The elders would like this year for the congregation to memorize Scripture together. So this week, the verse is Colossians 3, 12. It says this, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. I think that's a fitting verse to memorize as we go into the new year of what it will be to sow good seed. The second way I'd like to end this sermon and start the new year is if you pull out this insert. This insert is the church covenant. And I'd like to read it out loud together, me and you, to read out loud our commitment to God and our commitment to one another, to remind us as we go into the new year what service and care in doing good in the Spirit is to one another. So, if we can read, having received Christ as my Savior and Lord, and having been baptized by immersion 
and having and, and being in agreement with the Trinity Community Church Statement of Faith and Constitution, I now feel led by the Holy Spirit to unite with the church family at Trinity Community Church. In doing so, I commit myself to God and to the other members to do the following. One, I will protect the unity of my church by acting in love towards other members, refusing to gossip, following the leadership. Two, I will share the responsibility of my church by praying for its growth and health, inviting others to attend, especially the unbelieving, welcoming those who visit. Three, I will serve the ministry of my church by discovering my gifts and talents, being equipped to serve alongside the leadership, developing a servant's heart. Four, I will support the testimony of my church by attending faithfully, living a godly life, giving regularly. Thank you. Allow me to close in prayer.